FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz, and today is 10 10 19. Hard to believe we're a third of the way through the month already. As far as I'm concerned, October just barely got started. Well, you know that on this show, hey, I am a fourth generation entrepreneur. I love entrepreneurism. I'd love to see you guys realize your dreams. Even in America of today, if you have a good idea, if you build a better mousetrap and the, mouse, the mice have not become genetically immune to your mousetrap, you will succeed if you do it right. And, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't just being about starting a business. It's about execution, about so many other things. And often we take for granted that everybody, male or female, can start a business if they want to. And that is true. But there are certain societal expectations, societal uh, blockages, if for lack of a better term, that perhaps stop women from getting into uh, business the way they should. And, well, we got somebody here to address that issue, but also she is a serial entrepreneur like yours truly, a sales and marketing coach, a copywriter, and small business activist. Her name is Heather Havenwood. And Heather, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, so small business activist, how, how does that work? <laughs> I'm just activating and empowering women, <laughs> empowering people to do business. Honestly, you know, um, I say small business activist, really, I just really want to help other people be an entrepreneur. I'm just a huge proponent of entrepreneurship. I think it's something that everyone could do on the side or focus on it, whatever that is. I just feel that entrepreneurship is kind of the engine that uh, is the backbone of our society in the United States. So I'm a big proponent of it. Yeah. And you've given a lot of seminars, held a lot of events where <laughs> you have uh, top online uh, people talking about how to do this. But yeah, many of you out there, you wanted to have a business for so many years. You wanted to go out on your own and it, it could be for a lifestyle reason. It could be because you're tired of being an employee, being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, all that stuff. It might just be you want to create something bigger than yourself. But Heather, so many people never do it, especially mm -hmm. women. What is right. the number one thing that stops you from, from realizing your dream? You know, I, I'll share with a quick little story. And just so you know, my background, I grew up in Texas, born and raised a Texas girl, Baptist, Texas. And there's only three things, Carrie, that my mama wanted for me. And that is to marry a wealthy doctor, have lots of babies and always look good when I leave the house. The one and three ain't bad, mama. But yeah. I mean, I was really born and bred to just like marry and that's it. I was even went to Baylor University my very first semester. I remember sitting around this table with a few other of the girls and they said, well, I'm just here for my MRS degree. And I said, what's that? 
And MRS agrees to me, they're just there to get married. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah, like I didn't even know what that was because in my head, like that was never an option. To me, my mom ingrained in my head to be self-reliant. But yet, mm-hmm. you know, I was just kind of told and taught that my job is to really just be a housewife. And all my friends growing up, that's what they are. And nothing against that. But I never had that vision. I always had the vision of being self-reliant and to start my own business. But yet I remember at these sweet little and young age of 29, when I'm living in Orlando, Florida, in your backyard there, and I was, I was actually working for one of the largest seminar companies in the country. I've been traveling the country at that point, around the country, working for Robert Allen Institute, Ron LeGrand, some of, of the big names in real estate investing, met Robert Kiyosaki during that time. Uh-huh. And I was learning from them and buying and selling real estate and flipping houses, you know, back in, this is 2003. So during the prime of that, and I remember I get this phone call from my uncle. Now you understand when you get calls from like family, right? Like, especially with family members that you're not sure why they're calling thinking someone's dead. You ever hear someone like that? They usually want right? money. <laughs> yeah, it's like either someone's dead or someone said that's wrong or someone's yeah. in the hospital. But so that was my uncle. My uncle never really called me. And he calls me. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, my mom's something's going on. So I answered the phone. I'll never forget it. I'm driving down I-4 right there in Orlando. And he said, well, your mama called me. And he's Marcus, always got a thick accent. And I said, what's wrong with mom? Is she okay? Oh, no, she's fine. She's worried about you. Well, what is she worried about? Well, she just told me that you started a business and you're like buying, uh-huh. selling real estate or something. I said, yeah. Um, yeah. And he said, well, don't do that. I go, well, aren't you a real estate investor? He's actually one of the top real estate investors in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yeah. And I, he goes, well, yeah, but I'm a man. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. what does it do with anything? He goes, I'm just saying that's not what women do. Stop it. Well, oh you know, so my point is, is that not all women are encouraged, right? Mm-hmm. Not all men are women. Men too are not encouraged to start their own business. Men are too. And I think that part of my advocacy is to encourage people that if that's what they want, do it. You know, if that's sure. what they want, do it. That's my big mission in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's worthy. You know, it's interesting. Like Texas, my ex was from Texas. That's a song, you know, that (laughs) mom, my ex is living Texas. Yeah, yeah, well, and they should stay there too. But uh, (laughs) that is a a line of the song. (laughs) (laughs) But go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted your story, but that's a really good piece of that. So, so a lot of what you're talking about is cultural, but Texas is like that. You know, more people get married in Texas before the age of 21 than probably any other state in the country. And I'd go down there and, you know, like the way I was raised in uh, the Northeast in New Jersey was like, there was no question that I was going to college. You know, there was never a question you're going to college. And 98% of the people graduating from my high school went to college. So whether they were there to find a husband or not, I don't know. I never, women never confided that in me for some reason. They would, yeah, they would, you're a guy. <laughs> so, yeah. but so a lot of it's cultural. So, so you had to break these chains of expectation and belief, but it sounds like you were kind of like a square peg in a round hole anyway. So that wasn't yeah. really that much of an issue for you. 
Uh, I've yeah. So the problem is I look like I'm supposed to be the good housewife and, but I, I don't, my brain isn't that right. So I am definitely a round peg in a square hole for sure. Um, and I've always been that way. I've been kind of black sheep at the family. I realized a couple of years ago, seven generational back, cause that's all I could find seven generations back. I'm the only woman in seven generations that's ever started their own business in my lineage. And I think that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not abnormal there. I think there's a lot of people like that. And this is not an attack on men or anything like that. <laughs> it's just noting that like for yourself, you were kind of inbred that it's oh, yeah. fourth generation entrepreneurship. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's huge just because that's your family grew up in that. And so I think it's a huge piece in the society side. And uh, I just want to get my message out there to help more women yeah. and men, you know, if that's what they want to do to really get started and start their own business, whatever that is. You know, like you said, have a good idea, go after it. We're at a different age now that you can do that. And I want to encourage yeah. people to do that. The internet is like uh, the uh, cult 45 of uh, the wild west. The internet is the great equalizer that enables you to be every much as, as much of a uh, entrepreneur as a large corporation. You can project the same image the same professionalism. So, so you've got these women and I think it's good because really it's, it's not different. There's a lot of men out there who won't take the plunge either. So yeah, yeah. Got, there's both sides of the events. I just yeah. happen to be a woman. So I feel like I can right. speak that language. So, so you got somebody who like totally has no confidence whatsoever, doesn't believe they can do this. Yeah. And you must have one there where it really, it really was like a difficult case that you had to like, Marshall, all your skills of, because in a way you're a, a psychologist, you're a mm -hmm. business consultant, you're a coach, you're, you know, you're a parental figure, you're all these things and a financial uh, engineer. I try not to be a parental figure. <laughs> yeah, but you are. You're an authority figure, put it that way. Whether all a parental figure is, is an authority <laughs> figure. And they're, they're like betting everything on your ability to bring out the inner entrepreneur. It's like that movie full metal jacket where mm -hmm. uh, the Colonel is blasting uh, Joker, you know, cause he's wearing a peace symbol saying, get with the program inside every used a derogative term for every Vietnamese. There's an American just waiting to get out inside every person. I believe there's an entrepreneur just waiting to get out, but you got to get with the program and get them to do it. So you must've had one that really sticks in your mind. A client per se. I mean, there's definitely a couple I can speak for. I can speak of my clients, but I can speak for like my own personal journey. And in my own personal journey, I went through uh, my first million online was 05. And I was in Orlando, zero to one point zero one million dollars in, in one year. And then um, my lesson, first lesson. So this is what I call, you know, lessons of entrepreneurship. And as you move through the world of entrepreneurship, there's these things called, you know, walls that you hit, right? And there's mm -hmm. no amount of education that you can go through that's going to teach you these freaking lessons, you know, and this was mine. And um, I go through it and I had a business partner and uh, I, he was uh, a guy who did real estate investing and he came to me and he goes, I want to be in the seminar business. And so I made him into amazing what I call, I scrubbed him and made him look good and branded him and named him and created seminars. And we blew up in 2005. And then, uh, you know, I came home one day from a marketing seminar in Atlanta, I was driving back and uh, everything was gone. Bank accounts were emptied, uh, merchant accounts were changed and I lost everything. 
My house was in foreclosure within two months and my, I went through massive bankruptcy. And I'll never forget this. This is really, this is a really interesting. I don't share this story much, Carrie. So, but it's profound. I'm about six months in. I'm literally in devastation. You know, I'm over there going, what, what did I do wrong? And mm-hmm. who am I? Am I stupid? All this stuff, you know? And um, I reached out to a mentor of mine, a guy that I used to work for, a guy that actually kind of fired me, <laughs> weirdly enough. Uh, his name is uh, Larry Pino. He's actually in North Florida. He actually ran the largest seminar company in the country. He didn't fire me in a bad way, by the way. I'm just not a very good employee, so it's not personal. So I reached out to his secretary's office. I called his secretary. Here I am. Look, you got to get... I'm only like two miles away from his office. I'm broke. I mean, I got nothing. And I called his office and I said, may I have 20 minutes of Mr. Pino's time? And she said, yes, came back. You can meet him at the Starbucks at the building for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes or some ridiculous small amount of time. And I'm hoping that he buys coffee because that's how bad it was. So I run down there and I sit in front of him and I said, look, I'm here because here's what I did. I tell him everything I did with this business. And he's like, like kind of blown away. And he's like, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive what you did. I go, well, I was kind of emulating your model. I go, what the hell did I do wrong, Mr. Pino? I mean, you're, what did I do wrong? And he looked at me, he goes, you just picked a bad partner. You didn't get a lawyer. That's it. He goes, but what you did was brilliant. And then he, then he hired me for $10,000 to, to help me help him with a campaign in his office, which I was like, yes, I do. that wasn't the intention. And I just thought, okay. He looked at me and goes, nothing's wrong with you. This was good. Your model was good. What you did was good. It was brilliant. You just didn't get a lawyer. You didn't cover your butt as they call it. And you didn't, you didn't go through the legal stuff. You got so excited about the idea, right? That you didn't think through the legal side. I mean, who here in entrepreneurship's done that? And so he said, I really want to encourage you to keep going. You're a good entrepreneur. That was for me, such a beautiful moment. Thank God he bought the coffee. That was cool. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, can you give me some coffee? Can I have a double, triple latte? You know, but I just remember going, okay, I'm not stupid. This was just a huge, huge, costly lesson, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of entrepreneurship. My father, who was third generation entrepreneur, I mean, his grandfather was, uh, remember he, he was in the plastics business in New Jersey at the turn of the uh, 20th century before anybody oh, wow. knew they needed plastic, you know, before Dustin Hoffman and the graduate, like a hundred years before that. And mm-hmm. uh, the guy always had great ideas ahead of the time, but could never make it. And my father always used to say, anytime you get into a new business, you're going to pay for lessons and you paid for lessons there. So what about clients who've come to you for guidance so that they don't have to pay for those lessons? You got to have one that sticks in your yeah. mind. Oh yeah, there's one. Um, really, she's in her fifties, a single, divorce. She came to me and she liked yoga. You know, it was one of these like, oh, I like yoga, and that'd be great for yoga. Can't make but any money who doing she really yoga. was was what I call a yoga mama. You know, mm-hmm. and part of what I do, what my elixir is is understanding the art of influence and understanding how when you double down on pieces of the art of influence, that's when you create truly a brand that people are attracted to, okay? 
I'm all about the what I call the pre-sell. I'll call the dating before you get married and sex. Once you get married, I don't, you know, like that's a whole other conversation. I'm all about the attraction and the dating and the connection. How do you truly build something that people are attracted to? The desire, the the influence, the celebrityness. So she was just, you know, like kind of, uh, I'm just, you know. And I cr- helped her create this brand of like yoga mama and everything about her is like yogi, you know, now. And mm-hmm. people are just like going to her retreats and they want more and they want more because they see who she is and they just want her, you know? And at the end of the day, people buy who, not what. People buy who, not what. Kim Kardashian, they buy who, not what. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the world Very we're true. in now. That's the world right now. That's what branding is all about and influencing. You know, we live in this world of influencers, right? And, uh, you know, becoming one, I guess I am to a minor degree, but becoming an influencer, uh, there's a formula to doing it, right? There's a way Mm -hmm. to do it. So how do you become an influencer? FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next. Let me give you one step. This is a this is a really good one. And it came from actually something that happened with my mom. My mom passed away. And very suddenly it was kind of one of these like, boop, was it a hospice thing? It was a, you know, found in her apartment dead. Boom. And I had a hard time dealing with that. She was only 67. And I remember my coach at the time said, go do something really weird. I don't know, do clay pottery classes. I just something different, really weird. So I took improv classes. Now here's why. It was 1.2 miles from my house. Because <laughs> uh-huh. it was like, well, that's right. close. <laughs> you know? So up. I took improv classes from a local theater down the street and uh, took one, uh, took 101, then 102, then 103, then 104. It was there for like a year. And I took all the way to 106. And then at the end of it, uh, it actually what started with my podcast, kind of what I use in my podcast. So here's the key. So at the end of it, the main person looks at me and goes, Heather, you got to kick you out. There's no more classes. And I said, well, I want to continue. This is great. She goes, well, improv is the baseline of comedy. I'm like, comedy? No, no, no I'm not. I'm not funny. Like, oh, no. She's like, that's why you should do it. I'm like, oh, hell no. So it took me two years to go because, you know, it freaked me out. So I'll never forget. I'm here. I'm in comedy class, 12 weeks of comedy class. And at the end of comedy class, you have to get up and do a five minute big thing in front of a live audience in front of your yeah. friends. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am freaking out and the whole 12 weeks was all about one thing what's your stick or as in the new york they call it your stick your that's a little yiddish there wouldn't yeah, expect yeah. a texas girl to know about that stuff but that's yiddish. <laughs> uh, so 
I thought, well, what's my stick? And I, I hire this guy 24 hours before I get on for $50 for the hour. He's like, well, I, I you know, I charge $50 for the hour. I'm like, sold. Mm-hmm. I get him on. And I said, what do I do? He goes, here's the thing about comedy. And this is exactly influence. This is the exact principle of influence too. He goes, the key about comedy, what makes something funny, a person funny, is they double, double down on who they are. Like Chris Farley, the fat, crazy guy. Remember him? Eddie Murphy, right? Richard Pryor. You can always, you can imagine their character. Kathy Griffin. Amy Schumer, she's the single slut person for a long time. Kathy Griffin, the D-list. They double down on that piece of them, the insecurity piece. They like triple down on that. So I said, um, well, crap, what, you know, what, who am I? He goes, come on, you're a, you know, <laughs> a Baptist biatch. I can't say that in here. A Baptist biatch, double, double-breasted blonde Texas biatch. And I was like, well, yeah. He's like, that's what you are missing. And it was really interesting. I looked at all my media and I looked at all my images and I looked at everything online, my influence online, my image images and everything that you see on there back then. Mm-hmm. I looked like the girl next door, you know, really cute and sweet. Yeah. And like, I'm not, you know, you meet me and I'm like powerful and strong and kind of a biatch. Yeah. And so I realized that my influence wasn't really working because I was hiding that piece of me. I was not allowing myself to have the energy. It's kind of like Gary V all of a sudden, like being really sweet. You know what I mean? Or like Grant Cardone, like all of a sudden, I don't know, not doing sales anymore and becoming like a basket weaver or something. Like it would just be awkward, but they take their piece of themselves and they doubled down on that piece oprah doubles down she is martha stewart she's the girl next door she doubles down on that in a brand perspective that's what creates influence kim kardashian doubles down like i was just talking about this she's she now i think supposedly wants to go become a lawyer i think yeah. personally if i was her brander <laughs> influence person or oh, God. consultant i would tell her not to do it mm-hmm. if she wants to do it she could do it but i'm saying from a brand perspective i wouldn't talk about it because it, it ruins the brand. You know what I mean? It ruins her influence. She's smoking a hot, big old booty, billionaire yeah. woman, started with a sex tape. Okay, fine. But then now you're going to be a lawyer? Like it's too off the mark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, that's, that's a piece a, of the influence, I think, yeah. that's key. You got to double down on who you are. I guess at this point in her life, she could do whatever she wants and it doesn't really matter. And the brand be damned. Maybe that's the true, ultimate goal true. Of that's probably everyone. true. But I'm just thinking out loud from a brand perspective. I think that that yeah. so it doesn't fall in line. You raise a good point, though. Your brand needs to be congruent with who yes. with who you are. It can't yeah. be like, uh, I mean, people do it all the time, but uh, it's got to be consistent with your personality. I mean, I can't see uh, looking Kim Kardashian up in the uh, law directory and going to have her handle my matrimonial or uh, my bankruptcy. You know, I just, uh, I don't think so. It's not going to work. Right. I think uh, right. her brand as a lawyer would never really uh, come to fruition. And hey, maybe she'll do it, but. Uh, yeah, she can get a law hard degree, but I, from a brand perspective, it doesn't really fall in line. It's that commis- the commitment and consistency, which is a principle of influence by Robert Cialdini, right? Mm-hmm. It's a principle. And that's because human beings want that. And we also want to be able to connect with 
that. That's why he likes Chris Farley, you know, because he's this goofy fat guy. Robin Williams, he was just, you know, brilliant. Uh, we connected that piece of him that he probably at one point of his life couldn't stand that about him because he was yeah. so crazy and improv. Yeah. We, he probably, we talked to him privately is that piece of him that he was embarrassed about when he was a kid, but that, that's who he is and we love, you know? So I think that's a piece of the brand and that could be in a business too, you know? So let's talk about your podcast since yeah. uh, the show is about podcasting. Uh, so how many episodes you done? Well, I've been a, 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 a guest for over 450. Um, my own, I think around 200. 200. So a weekly show? It's a weekly show. That's correct. All right. So you're talking about four years worth. And what, what kind uh, of? Four years. Yeah. yeah what, 2005. Kind of, four. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of audience uh, numbers, what kind of download numbers you getting? Oh, I don't talk about that. You don't not talk publicly. about that? Nope. Well, in the, in the <laughs> I'm not K Radio. Yeah. Um, and Ashley Radio. I'm on 19 stations across the country. Mm -hmm. I'm on Roku uh, on that on that station as well, and of course on iHeart, Spotify, Pandora, everywhere there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I really enjoy it. I just don't talk about numbers. It's like talking okay. about how big your list so, is. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you that I do uh, three, four hundred thousand downloads a month uh, oh. off of my shows, but. In any nice. event, uh, well, thank you for having me on your yeah, show. Hey, my pleasure. You know, ten thousand average, sometimes more, sometimes less per per show. Uh, but in any event, and I do a daily show. But so, what brought you to podcasting? Uh, because it, was it looking to extend your brand to get no. more clients, no. or just to share you? So why just start doing it? Um. So I at the time was. Um, my fiance and I were building a business online. We went from zero to 1.5 million in sales. But in the beginning, we weren't selling anything. We had a supplement company and, uh, we were doing weight loss, supplement company, and I was trying to do Facebook ads and couldn't do anything because they're very hardcore in supplements. And then I tried to do affiliates and nothing was working. And so I decided, well, I'll launch a podcast on business called the win. And I'll sell the supplements. And so that's what I did. So what I first did is the first year, I was on 150 podcasts for the first year, just me as myself and as the owner of this wellness company. And then I flipped it and I got to interview 150 podcasters. I'm like, what works, what doesn't work? And then when I launched it, I went from zero to um, National Kennedy Radio in six months because I, I, I kind of like broke in the, the game, you know? And mm -hmm. so um, I did the podcast originally to sell supplements because on your podcast, you can say whatever you want. You can sell whatever sure. you want. Yeah. So That's brand I extension. Did. I call that brand extension or augmentation where you've got an existing business. You use your podcast to bring in more business effectively. Yeah. The, the difference was I didn't create a wellness, wellness podcast. So I didn't go wellness for wellness. No, right. I just did business. Heather talking to entrepreneurs and then, Oh, by the way, I have supplements. That's okay. So you endorse your, well, it is okay, but that's just telling you no, the strategy, but that's a model, you know, but it's a big model. Right. You're running your podcast to inform, entertain all that, but you want to make some money off of it. So it's a lot harder when you go out, like I didn't try to sell advertising and sponsorships to an industry in decline, at least temporarily it was, it's better when 
you've got your own products and every, uh, every listener you convert, you profit from directly. And especially if you've got an underlying business that's already uh, breaking even, or at least not losing too much money, that can be all the difference. And so what about uh, YouTube? Have you gotten into uh, YouTube a lot? Yeah, you know, my big social media is LinkedIn. I'm at 25,000. I really focused on LinkedIn about four years ago. So I've really cracked the code with LinkedIn. Um, and then I focused on Instagram. Um, and then only in the last six months have I focused on YouTube. I just hired a YouTube coach to really talk to me about, about that. Um, I really focused first on the podcasting, radio, LinkedIn is kind of where I first started. Interesting. So what about LinkedIn? Because it's not real... Most people think, I know their revenue model can be really expensive for, for marketing on there if you do uh, ads or whatever more than other channels. What is it about LinkedIn that works for you? And do you use it to promote your podcast too? Yeah, so I actually feel like, and the people have told me, I actually have a, a, someone interviewed me on LinkedIn. I did like an hour and a half of deep dive. People were like blown away because I got a chance to sit down with people who worked at LinkedIn last year or this March in South by Southwest. And I kind of got the lowdown on the um, algorithm. And let me explain it the only way I can explain it. People in LinkedIn, who, by the way, are like across this, what I call across the street in Silicon Valley from Facebook. Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn looks at everything, the algorithm of Facebook and does everything opposite. So Al Facebook has trained people on what, how things work and the brain. And they think that all social media is like that. And LinkedIn is the opposite. So it, everything you think is supposed to work on LinkedIn because you've been trained by Facebook won't work and vice versa. So you have to train, retrain. That's why I focus on it for four years versus Facebook. Like I haven't, yeah, you know, I only focus on Facebook. Um, LinkedIn really is going to be way bigger than from a from a from a not the numbers wise of people but the power of facebook it's, it's 10 times as powerful as facebook uh from the search perspective from the content perspective it's it's a powerhouse and what i love about linkedin is that it's quiet you know facebook's in the news all the time and linkedin's over there just like Shh. they just started live video this year uh, they looked at all the other live videos out there and they pretty much did everything opposite. <laughs> so it's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, it really is going to be the largest contact database of businesses in the world. And that's their focus, mm -hmm. not social media. They don't consider themselves a social media platform. They consider themselves a business contact perspective, contact platform. Interesting. So a lot of your podcast listeners come from LinkedIn? Oh, I don't know. They just they click on the link, but a lot of my people come from LinkedIn. I mean, mm -hmm. LinkedIn's my primary. I don't, you know, I'm on Facebook, you know, posting, but people, here's the deal. People on Facebook are there to look at what other people are doing in people's lives. People on LinkedIn are there to do business, period. Yeah, so Facebook's a little voyeuristic, if you will. There are people on the outside looking in saying, why is my life so boring and uh, all these people? But then again, uh, LinkedIn, I mean, Facebook, from what I understand from my kids, it's really become like, you know, Instagram is really where it's at. Facebook has mm -hmm. kind of fallen by the wayside. It's for older people, older folks like me who, uh, 
I post on Facebook, but I don't engage on Facebook, if that makes sense. I post because you have to. It's but I engage on Insta. If you want to find me on Instagram, Heather Havenwood. But where I really engage is LinkedIn. Yeah, I haven't gotten into Instagram at all, but uh, it's probably a good idea. And so on Instagram, do you get followers and listeners to the podcast from there as well? Because it's what we're talking about here is cross-channel, multi-channel marketing, integrating your your different channels that you're out on, whether it's a podcast, yeah. LinkedIn, I just, Facebook. Yeah, I just believe in being omnipresent. You know, mm-hmm. it's that conversation of being omnipresent all the time everywhere. Yeah. I'm on every like there isn't really much I'm not on Snapchat, but other than that, I'm pretty much on every every you're channel you can possibly think of. You're not on Snap. <laughs> God, no. Nope. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I am. I'm not either. So, um, yeah, I don't like things that have too short a shelf life. Like Snapchat just has never yeah. made any sense to me. Uh, going ahead. So what kind of goals do you have for your podcast? Goals? Um, you know, I think right right now I'm really focused on um, I, you know, because I, I have a different kind of viewpoint on podcasts. I look at it as a leverageable tool and I look at it as a leverageable tool to connect with people like yourself uh, to uh, like right now, cause I'm nationally Canadian radio. I'm uh, been invited to South by Southwest as a media person. I've been invited to MJ uh, um, conference, which is the largest marijuana conference in January in Vegas for 60,000 people as a media and interviewing the owner. Like it's a leverageability tool versus I think it's a door opener Versus like, it's all about me and the numbers. I use it as a tool to engage and to help and to connect. But I look at it differently mm-hmm. than most people. Yeah. No, I get it. It's kind of like your calling card, your business card now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're just, you know, yeah. I think that what I, I, you know, I think it's cute. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, listening to you and talking about numbers. It, it makes me feel like back in the old days with, you know, internet market, like, oh, how big is your list? You know. I come from more of a female view. It's all about connection and communication and community and connecting and building and network and not numbers. Because for me, the right people will listen to connect. The right people will be attracted to me. I don't care if it's one or 10,000 or one or a hundred thousand. Like as long as people are connecting. In my book, I talk about that. Like your list size doesn't matter because if you have broke millennials who are living in their parents, uh, you know, yeah. attic, attic or basement, and you have 2 million of them, or I have 100 people who happen to own uh, Gulfstream 650s, uh, which list would you rather have? I don't care right. about the 2 million. So it's quality, yeah. not quantity. But but if you have a quality list and you have quantity, then you've really got something there. So you can't, uh, uh, you know, denigrate one for the other, but I'll take no, quality. Just... I'll take quality over quantity any day of the week, though. Right. Right. I just, I feel like I had to focus on one thing and that's what I chose to focus on. If you know what I mean? So uh, I always, I I got the opportunity to uh, talk to Martha Stewart last week in in New York city, Carnegie hall. And uh, I love what she said. She said the best way to get on shows in the media is to have a show. (laughs) And that is a truer, no truer words were never said. Well, Heather, we have gotten to the end of our interview and I need you to tell us where to find you, where to find your podcast, and uh, how to connect with you. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me, Carrie. I really appreciate it. Um, My name is Heather Havenwood and you can find me at heatherhavenwood.com as well as Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Went to at Heather Havenwood. I'm all those facebook.com forward slash Heather Havenwood, all of them. All right. Excellent. Hey, we appreciate you coming on. Any questions, comments, uh, just email me kl at kerrylutz.com. We answer all. I hope uh, I hope this has been helpful for you. I know it has for me. I'm going to start looking at LinkedIn in a different way than I do now because I need more of my market. I'd rather have people with money and probably the demographics of internet, uh, of, of LinkedIn rather, probably substantially higher income levels than Facebook and age, probably an older demographic and probably more entrepreneurial bent and more investor bent. So I totally get what you said there. Uh, we'll have to talk maybe later and have to get to, have to, uh, you know, get, get some info out of you here. Have to pump you, have to pump you for some, uh, some Intel here. Right. <laughs> but Hey, really appreciate you coming on questions, sure. comments, just uh, give us an email again, KL at com. Heather, been a pleasure. We'll talk to you hey, again soon. Carrie. Okay. Thanks. FSN radio. It's all about what's next. Go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.